Hi, and welcome to this episode of Network AF. Today, I'm talking to Kat Gorinsky, uh, an amazing networker, friend of mine from Nanog community. Um, we're going to talk about her passion for uh, anime, Japanese, karate, um, networking, and we're going to talk about automation, some of the things that she's been doing with it, um, advice for people looking to get into automation, and advice for people looking to get into the field of networking. Today, I'm here with my friend, Kat Gorinsky, who's been in networking, and we're going to talk about community, um, technology, and maybe uh, some non-networking things as well. Hi, Kat. Could you give us a brief introduction to you know yourself, uh, personal and work? Hi. So my name is Kat Gorinsky. I've been working in network engineering since about 2007, um, so good like 14 years now. Um, I worked in computer repair before that as well. While I was in college. Um, I am a little odd though because I have a Japanese major for my bachelor's and master's, so it doesn't quite, you know, <laughs> compute when you're putting that together. Um, but I was always really into computers um, early on. Um, my dad was actually the computer lab teacher when I was growing up, so it kind of ended up being a natural fit for my actual job. And it's hard to get a job as a translator, which was my original dream as a child. <laughs> <laughs> it also doesn't pay nearly as well. So even if I did get a job as a translator, I would not be on the same pace. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I own a karate dojo in Austin, Texas. Um, and I have two small children and we live here out in Austin. Cool. I did not know uh, that you had wanted to go down the translation route. Uh, there's a, I have a friend and amazing woman I went to high school with, Irit Treach, who is Israeli. Uh, but uh, actually wound up moving to Japan and then wound up doing triway translation, oh, um, uh, you know, Hebrew, Japanese, English, and now is expert at uh, training dog trainers um, um, oh. and other things. Uh, because I yeah. think, yeah, uh, there's only so many, there's only so many, um, you know, manuals that one can translate and things, you know, in the market. So, so, so mm. You mentioned uh, computer repair and um, hopefully not just like supporting people whose hard disks were full and they couldn't, you know, web browse because of it. Um, but how did that, how did you get into networking? Yeah. Um, so um, the computer repair was, you know, people like had broken hard drives or, you know, broken CPUs that were starting to smoke or whatever. Um, I um, actually went to computer repair school at a tech school during high school. Oh. My one fun story. Yeah. So I knew that I was going to go to college. I was one of those honors kids, you know, like I was definitely on the college path. Right. But I also knew that I didn't want to go to college and work at McDonald's. I just that was never like me. I was like, I want to have a better job. So I convinced my parents to send me to tech school, like, which is where most of like, the high school dropouts went. Right. But I was like, no, no, no. I need to go to tech school so I can get a good college job while I'm doing college, you know. And so like, I was like, I can put all my AP classes in the morning and I go to tech <laughs> school in the evening. I had it all planned out. And they, they're like, OK, you know, you made your case. They let me go. I did my junior year of high school. So then I, I worked at the uh, IT department at my university for the entire time I was studying for undergrad and graduate. Um, but what happened was when I was working at that IT department um, as an undergrad student, one of my jobs was a technology assistant, as they called it, which was that we helped get students online um, during move-in, like, like freshmen and stuff, um, and then just help them with connectivity problems throughout the year. That was our assistant role of uh, the job. And um, when I graduated, um, we only had a single network engineer that worked at the university and he was looking to hire um, a full-time network engineer to work under him. 
And now I didn't have any network engineering experience at this point. I just had lots of computer repair, right? Because I'd done all right. this stuff at the IT department. But, you know, he'd see me help people get people online. You know, we, we deployed a Cisco Clean Access. I don't even know if that product's still around. No, but, I don't yeah. know what that is. Uh, it's a NAC solution. So um, it was something that you would log into and then it would verify on your computer that you had like antivirus software, oh, that your firewall okay. was turned on, like that kind of stuff. Making sure you met minimum requirements that you weren't a risk to the network to infect the entire right. student base. Yeah, um, and I helped deploy that as a, as a student employee. Um, so that was like the one thing working my favor. But he knew like, you know, from the years of my time at the IT department that I could learn. And so he was like, here, you're going to apply for the job. I'm going to be the one interviewing you anyway. He's like, go study some stuff so I can ask you some relevant questions, you know, from the textbook. He's like, but, you know, I know you can do it. So it's it's pretty much a shoe in right? And I'm like, okay. And so I got hired um, as a full-time, like, you know, on staff at the university. But it was basically an apprenticeship. Because I, I'd never pr like written any Cisco code at all mm -hmm. at that point. Like I didn't have a, my, my clue what to do with a switch or a, an access point. I only knew how to deploy that one server, you know. ARP and Mac were job. fuzzy concepts. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. L2, L3, what does this mean? How do, how do I terminate coax and Ethernet and fiber? And yeah, I actually learned all of that stuff at that job. So it was really cool, like, it, you know, because it was like an apprenticeship. And those don't exist too often these days, you know. But I basically got a network engineering apprenticeship with him. Um, and we worked together for like about a year, year and a half, and then he left to go somewhere else. And it was just me. <laughs> Scariest time of my life. I stayed for another year, hated the boss I had and left. <laughs> so, uh -oh. yeah, the boss I had didn't really believe in me was the problem because I'd only been there as, in that role for about a year before my boss left. So, so it was more I just, it was more just lack of experience than, uh, you know, than you not being like, you know, his expectations of, of, well, yeah, and he he felt my lack of experience um, meant that I couldn't possibly know what I was talking about either. And so he never took my advice on anything, even though like Simon, my, my boss that had trained right. me, you know, in that apprenticeship type role, Simon had trained me very well, um, but he just could not believe that I actually knew anything really. And that was kind of the impression I always felt um, working with that, that other boss after Simon yeah. left me. And so that got really frustrating pretty fast. And um, Simon, as it turns out, was friends with Chris Malater. They had gone to school oh. together so this is where it all ties in I did, huh? <laughs> uh -huh. and chris was like hey cat i'm just gonna take you and you're gonna come over here and work for switching data with me and i'm like okay please save me thank you <laughs> so i met i met chris through simon because they were like really close friends you know um and that was how i got out of of that situation and how i ended up at switching data which went through the merger about a year and a half into that yeah. <laughs> into equinix so and that's how awesome. i found nanog too because chris said come on let's go to this conference you know awesome so, yeah i mean my experience has been that most of the people um, in networking, especially when I was starting, were sort of self-taught. Um, mm -hmm. And so understood that, um, understood that everyone was learning all the time. Mm -hmm. So the only way to become expert was to go break it and figure out yes. you know, how to unbreak it. <laughs> Not, oh. Oh, yes. So, so true. I remember so many times that I'd be like trying to troubleshoot something at the university when I worked with Simon. And I'd be like, Simon, how do I do this? And he was not the type of person that would just tell you how to do it. So he'd be like, go look it up. And like, but but it's probably easy. Go look it up. <laughs> like, I remember that very vividly my first year of employment. And so many times I would get so mad at him. But like, it made me so much better because I learned to look it up. I learned to try to fumble through it. You know, because at the end of the day, we worked at the university. If I did break it a little worse in like three in the morning, no one's going to notice. They're all sleeping, you know, and he'd help me unbreak it before they all woke up, you know. 
I, uh, the, the wizard, um, Steve Robinson, who worked with my father doing medical research, who, you know, sort of was like, you don't want to do that basic stuff. You want to use Unix and C. And this was like in 1980. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I, I would do things like I would go to him and say, so I want to, I want to, um, you know, do a science project. Let me, you know, see if I can recognize images with the computer. He's like, that's actually a much harder problem than you think. I'll tell you what. And then he picks up a piece of paper and draws and punches it with a pencil and says, go look at the world one pixel at a time and tell me what you see. Think about it, come back and have questions for me, you know, but yeah. Or when I asked him like, how should I administer this Unix machine? He's like, well, run find slash and figure out what every file does and ask me if you have questions. So, but you know, you do have to have time and privilege to be able to to do and learn that way. Right. You have to, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I remember yeah, I mean, I, I had similar in, in college. I had done a bunch of computer stuff, but I met actually the guy that did image processing and the guy that did networking. I was like, oh, networking. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. whatever. And then, but, you know, he was, he, like me, would go to the computer shows, buy parts, build computers. He was doing it because we were at a state school that had no budget for, so he was, you know, like scrounging lab and I was building computers for like law firms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, so, you know, yeah. So then we started, I got interested, you know, we had this yeah. empty thing called a T1 and then I had to figure it out. <laughs> I remember so. when my high school got a T1, it was the biggest deal. <laughs> oh my God, T1 to the high school. Wow, that would have been Oh Yeah, that was like probably when I was, I think I was in like 10th grade because I remember taking my mm-hmm. C++ class and like we'd just gone into that year and... <laughs> You're going to laugh at this one. C++ in 10th grade? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I took oh, a wow. C++ class in 10th grade. But I remember like, as it was, I, you know, it was a pretty easy thing for me to take that class. So when we had free time after we did our programming exercise, all of us would go log in and play Neopets. That's going to age me because nobody plays that anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> but but it, it was, you know, we was at home. We had dial up. All of us had this horrible right. connection. So you could never like get the really fast things you had to click for loading quickly. Right. But we could do it at the school at the T1. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a vision of dial up pixelated, whatever. What is it? Neopets? Neopets. It's like, like it's like, think of like a Tamagotchi or something. But it's like, it's just like, you know, you have to like like an NFT. You have to like it sounds like we should go make an NFT. And, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and they had lots of mini games that you play to help, you know, get stuff to, to make your Neopet better. But yeah, it was this very silly game. And I don't think any, I think it still exists, but I don't think anybody plays it mainstream anymore. Like okay. they used to back then. <laughs> Okay, I predict. I predict within a year we'll see it. Uh, you know, NFT. Uh, you know, on the crypto space. So, so um, you know, you you talked a little bit about how you got in, and it sounds like you know you're fortunate, but also uh, applied yourself and prepared. Uh, you know, even back from high school. And I will say, by the way, that I, also when I was in in high school, there was uh, you know people that owed tax school. But I, I will, you know, it's worth noting how much more money plumbers and electricians make and it carpenters than, really many, than many people who did not go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then frustration if you find people that are maybe expect people to look like, you know, look like, uh, you know, to already have experience. I posted something on LinkedIn. I think they were looking for 56 years of firewall experience, you know. Uh, what? Yeah. Actually, Rachel Bicknell had found it and I, okay. I commented and then, and then reposted it. And it was, so we're like, no, no, no. They mean, you know, base 50, <laughs> you know. Uh, she finds uh, some really funny job postings, I have to say. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So, so, um, what is the biggest outage you have caused without automation? Um, <laughs> that's funny, given the recent um, Facebook story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, I was working, we were, I think we were still switching data yet. I don't think we had merged and become Equinix. So I believe we we're, this is shortly before the merger. Um, I was tasked 
with um, collecting a bunch of information from show commands. I can't remember what exactly I was inventorying, but I was basically supposed to inventory stuff. And all I had to do was do show commands all day long for this project for like a week. Mm-hmm. And um, we had an extreme, I think it was an extreme networks um, chassis switch in the Palo Alto PAX data center. Uh-huh. Um, and I was just going site by site. And because we were all remote, um, you know, one of my few jobs where we were remote before COVID, um, I, you know, could do some of it during the day, some of it during night. It didn't really matter what time of day I did it. They didn't care as long as I got it done in the time allotted to me, right. you know? So I think it was probably like, I don't know, eight or nine. It was sometime in the evening, like after normal hours. And I'm just like, okay, let's continue working on this. Cause I got some free time and I'm doing my show commands and the switch rebooted. Oh no, it gets better though. Right. So okay. if it just rebooted, that wouldn't be so bad. <clears throat> it came back. Um, well, we had no console to it, so I couldn't actually see that it came back, but evidently it came back without a config. So like I'm like waiting for this thing like to a reboot. Race. Right. Yes, pretty much. But I didn't write it. I literally had only done show commands. It was some bug that it hit, right? Anyway, but I'm like sitting there like, I can't ping it. Like it's not coming back. I'm like freaking the F out, you know, like what's going on? And I'm only like been at this job for like maybe a year or less at this point. Cause I was right. only there a year and a half before the merger. And I remember it was before the merger. Right. And so we have to like call the poor one local, we only had one engineer that actually lived in the Palo Alto area. So I'm like, Helen, Helen, I need you to go down to the pegs, like help. And uh, yeah, so he had to like wake, you know, he was awake. It wasn't that late, but still he was past a- after hours. It was dark. He had to get up and go drive down and he had to go fix it for me by hand. Um, now, thankfully, we didn't have any of these locked out security issues like that. This is just an, right. an internet exchange switch, you know, for the packs. But right. still, like that switch stayed down for a couple hours until, you know, he was able to bring it back. Now, I didn't lose my job or anything. And it was fine. But... You didn't cause it other than by tickling bugs somehow that yeah i just triggered a bug like i didn't i didn't like do it i didn't do a change i didn't make any changes i literally was only doing a show command but man i was like freaking out for a good couple hours until that thing came back and he manually reconfigured it because yeah i I, i've had a few people who've worked for me before with like oh my god oh my god i just it's like awesome now you get to fix it they're like no no no, i broke it i'm like yeah that means you get to fix it (laughs) Yeah, I lived uh, like in Northwest Indiana at the time, so there's definitely no way yeah. I could help. Like I was way too remote, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, so that was uh, interesting, whew. right? So that was really remote, yeah, for yeah. for the time. I mean, mm-hmm. America Vario was remote. I mean, some some companies were pretty remote at the time, but um, that's one of the questions that's really interesting: is how do we help people lab and understand how things break and how to fix them without actually breaking the internet and and people's applications. Um, yeah, that's something that I was talking to the Uber driver about yesterday because he's like, what do you do? And I said, oh, we make the Internet go. And he's like, oh, I have a CCNA and it's expired. I'm like, don't worry about that. Don't, don't, don't yeah, worry about that. Like, don't worry that it's expired. Like, go play with, you know, virtual virtual stuff and, you know, show that. And I told you know what I, I told him because we were in I was in Virginia yesterday. Um, since I ha- I'm getting back like three years ago, I have to remember what city I was in, you know, this morning. Um, <laughs> and I was like. You're dry, and he was driving me to Equinix DC3. And I'm like, just oh, look, yeah. all these buildings, they all have operations groups. And if you have bright, shiny eyes, you know, they can, you know, there's networking, there's cabling, there's, you know, just support and operations. And yeah, a lot of it is centralized. But like, if you're really interested, you know, because he wanted to not be an Uber driver, I was like, mm-hmm. just apply, you know, apply to all these, uh, you know, apply. And, you know, uh, I give my email address and, you know, good luck. You know, hopefully that will happen. So, um, mm-hmm. So I mentioned automation because, you know, automation can be a good way to 
help humans be lazy. I, I always mm-hmm. try yep. to be like, wait, why am I doing this over and over? Why am I doing show commands over and over and over? <laughs> right. Why am I doing so, like the same t- thing over and over when I could automate it? <laughs> right. But if you uh, if you uh, automation is also a way to break things really fast. Yes. Uh, if you don't think about it well. <laughs> And and further, you know, we see a lot of, of our customers are like, oh, I'm so behind. And, you know, mm-hmm. because the vendors are like, oh, it's all self-driving networks and closed loop automation and magic models and intent. And, you know, most of our customers are like, if they have lifecycle, like I turn it on, turn it off, uh, inventory it, the interface descriptions are set, like basic health. So, you know, then then they're doing pretty well. And so this has been you know, focus of, uh, of yours, you know, Python and, and, and yeah. is it more internet, internet side or data center or, you know, what kind of. Yeah. So focusing on? yeah. So for me in my current role, um, it's definitely data center side, um, because I'm just doing really large scale deployments. Um, you know, I conjure the switches instead of like, you know, a couple. Um, and so it's, it's both the automating of the deployment. Um, so a lot of, you know, Python scripting and, power on auto provisioning and Ansible usage and all that stuff um, just to make life easier, including like, you know, automating even assigning IP addresses, et cetera, too. Like the more, again, the more, like you said, the more I can automate that I'm just going to do by hand, the better, because I can, in theory, reduce human error risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then and after, you know, things come up too, like it's a matter of like automating my troubleshooting as well. Like some of my favorite things to do is to write like, um, like Arista API scripts. Um, I love their API. It's really easy to work with. And if you know Python, it's just all interactive Python with our API. And I got to this point where like, you know, okay, every time a link has errors or there's some sort of issue with a link, like I'm going to do the same 10 show commands, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I just was like, why don't I just automate that, you know? And I can do that all through the API and just grab all of that data that I need every time. If I'm going to be doing the same commands, I might as well have the API grab it really quickly. <clears throat> you know, it's, I physically cannot type those commands as fast as the API can can execute yeah. them, right? You know, and then they're always going to be the same. All I have to tell it is host name and port number, you know, making my life way easier. So, is there any rate limiting concern? Like, what if everything started showing, you know, interface? Does does the Arista <clears throat> do its own rate limiting, or did you have to implement that yourself? I don't think there's one that I've been able to hit yet. There may okay. be a rate limit, but I've not been able to hit it yet. I'm um, like one, for example, like one script that I wrote, um, which is kind of in between deployment and troubleshooting is um, I got really tired when we would deploy like a ton of servers on a whole rack and then having to go back and put port names in there. Cause I didn't yeah. like having like ports that didn't tell me what server they went to. Like, I really want to know what does this connect to? Right. So later on, if somebody's like saying, Hey, my server's having issues. I, you know, yes, TraceRoute will tell me where your port is and, you know, show MAC address will show me where it is, but it's even better if I can label the port, right? And so I wrote this script, like the first thing I wrote, actually, when I took the Arista API class that they taught back in 2017, so about four years ago, I took that class and had that little light bulb moment of like things I could do with the API. And that was the first light bulb that went off. I was like, I could automate putting port descriptions on switch ports, like between LLDP and ARP and IPv6 neighbors, like I could, between one of those functions, I should be able to figure out what connects here. Right. Mm-hmm. And instead of me having to do those three different commands to figure out what connects here, like I could just automate that. And so that switch, that script that runs really fast, like I can run it against all, you know, all the ports um, and it'll just do like. And so that's I can't think of anything else I would run that would be fast. That would be that would be more requiring of rate limiting, really, than something like that, where it just goes bam, 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 bam. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I run it, yeah, it just Cool. It goes quick. It does the IP lookups and everything. If it's ARP, you know, it does the LDP and everything really fast. And the switch replies with everything. 
all through the API and then updates our descriptions for me. <laughs> so what's the, in this case, the source of truth is the, you, so you're rewriting it. It's not a database. It's not like a netbox. No, it's thing. not a database. I'm doing it's like an ask itself. built basically. I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing an ask built basically. Like it's like, this is the reality. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not, I'm yeah, we don't keep a database for what port gets <clears throat> wired to uh, what server. Um, huh? So yeah, like I, I try via a couple of different methods. Um, I usually preference our, our LDP first because that's very, very reliable for the port, yeah, right? Okay. But if it's a port channel, then obviously I'm going to preference ARP if I can. Um, mm -hmm. And um, and then if it's a V6 neighbor, then I got to do V6 neighbors instead sure. because you're not going to have ARP obviously on there instead. So I kind of go in that pecking order though. LDP, check ARP, check V6 neighbors if it's not a P4 address. And, and yeah, so it's no literally, one... it's it's definitely there. And hopefully no one has jacked a switch into the other end. So there's many ARPs, <laughs> many things that you see on the, on the uh, you know, either ARPing or, or Mac learned uh, you know, yeah. to the other, they should just be accessed, I guess, if they're all. You know. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. So since it is a data center, it's a very standard build as far as how the ports are laid out and what's going on them. And I've, I've never ran into that in the data center world, the enterprise world. When I used to do that, yes, I've run into it all the time. People plugging hubs and other switches and things into stuff they shouldn't. But the data center side, that's really not a non-issue for us. Plus our, our uplinks are going to be on QSFPs and our servers are going to be on SFP or on copper. So again, it's, you can't accidentally plug into the wrong thing because it's a completely different, you know, that sounds like a so. that sounds like a design feature for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to have physical yeah. incompatibility with with uh, things you don't want to uh, things you don't want to plug in, and yeah, I mean we see that you know we have some features we built that assumed that people configure things with regex, like you could regex match you know interfaces to find you know server dash whatever peering whatever that people would do that. And then you mm -hmm. find uh, definitely some networks that are have organically evolved where, you know, in the worst case, if there's an interface description, it's wrong because people just gave up. Um, yeah. And so then this question of what's the source of truth, um, yeah. you know, in, in a non-well-formed data, you know, center world can yeah. be interesting. You know, people try to have, yeah. well, sometimes the IPAM, the CMDB, the configs, and they're like, oh, but it's, it's some of it is true in each of those. And it's like, no, it's starting yeah. One thing I have to always be careful of is like for that script, since it is doing, you know, what's actually connected, right, is that we don't want to run it too early. So we want to audit and make sure that people plug things in correctly, like uplinks, for example, right? So like if they had, we usually like four uplinks on our switches, mm -hmm. right? So like maybe the first two came up, but the second two didn't because they accidentally flipped those when they were cabling them for us, right? So maybe core three and core four are flipped on the switch, right? Well, if I run the script though, and it looks at LDP, it's going to put that wrong label on that wrong mm -hmm. port, right? And then somebody might think it's supposed to be like that, you know? So it's like one of those, make sure like all your links are actually uh, up before you run the script, make sure it's correct, you know, like, so you're, you got a little bit. The service is, is less of an issue because they're all access on the same VLAN, you know, it's all. Yeah, that is an interesting, yeah. yes, that's interesting. If the source of truth is the network itself, Right. And you start doing it too early while it's still in flux, then it could confuse people who, right, who yep. are trying to operate exactly. it, right, who didn't create Exactly, it, and so then you'd operate. have to rerun the script later. But now for that little in-between time, right, you've got that wrong label on there. So that's one thing we try to do with bring-ups at least is we wait till we verify that all the BGP is up and that all that stuff goes where we where we ask for the patch plan for the switch-to-switch -switch stuff. Right. Now the servers, you know, there's it's really hard for us to tell if it's actually done correctly. Um Really, the only thing we, we have a, a different guy who wrote a script to look at the database of the LDP. And um, the only thing we really audit on our redundant switches, where we have, you know, two um, in M like pairs, we will compare and make sure that the uh, LDP is the same on the same number of ports, right? So if we see like mm -hmm. port three has server A and over here it's on port four, 
okay, then obviously some of the cables something wrong, you know, it's like, that's like something else we've got to, to check for because then the M leg is not going to come up because they're yeah. on the wrong ports. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Some of the, the table state can be really useful. People are, I, 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 I know a couple of companies that have made streaming telemetry of the blurp everything work, but mm-hmm. that's really hard versus just, you know, do the show things match up. Um, yeah, yep, exactly. Uh, no, I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can torture the Aristos. So far they've done everything I've wanted rate limiting. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Um, I've never had a barf unless I had a wrong password or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I just yeah. did the wrong command. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I got so annoyed with, uh, uh, I have a 9001 that I put in the CEO cabinet because I still have a 3PXL that's got slash 24s filtered there. And I was like, wait, I have to Google this just as much as if I were, you know, sticking an MX in. I think I should just yeah. go with it. And I used Aristo for someone, just help him set up a lab of like data center like you're, like you're talking about. And it was like, wait, this is just iOS with commit confirm and bash. This is like much better. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I can't go back now. Like I'm so spoiled. Like I just I can't I can't go back to something else. I I like it too much. It's just it feels like home when I'm on that box, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of def, definitely a lot of Juniper bigots, but I'm just personally yeah. I'm just slower when I have to. And and I'm always doing display set, and they make fun of me. And they're like, oh, but Avi, you like C coding. Why don't you like braces? I'm like, that's for programming. This is for yeah. router configs. Like they're different. right. And I do like programming. You know, I like my well, Python doesn't have any of the bracket stuff right. either. But yes. you know, but yeah, it's just, it's. I can't, I've not done that kind of programming in so long that it's just easier for me to stay on the other side. <laughs> yes. So, so it sounds like, you know, I would say um, you're doing stuff that's, especially, you know, with the show and augmenting and some diagnostics, it's probably more than even uh, the average, you know, that we see. Where would you mm-hmm. advise people to, like, what's been helpful for you to try to um to try to learn to use virtual aristas with a particular python you know their libraries you love or their you know or you know anything in particular that you can remember that you'd point people towards if they're looking to start doing the automation dance yeah so i definitely recommend like taking some intro classes for sure um just to kind of like get your feet wet because um I'm, I'm a good self-learner but i always find that like that initial like you know dipping your foot in the pool type thing helps a lot with the intro class and then once you got like the feet and then it's easier to, to submerge the rest of the body right mm-hmm. um so for me like i took the actual arista epi class that they were offering i think they still offer it now or at least they did pre-pandemic mm-hmm. um you know if you're looking to do like something with like ansible and take an ansible introduction class you know like do, do those intro classes to at least get the framework before you just dive into the deep end, open up the books and go looking for this exact type, type of thing you're doing. Um, and it, for me, like it did help that, you know, back in high school, right, I took that C++ class. And then during like college, I did a lot of like um, HTML and CSS stuff. So I had a kind of framework. Um, I did a lot of self-learning for PHP at the beginning of my network engineering oh, yes. career. Uh-huh. Well, all my scripts used to be PHP. I actually didn't switch to Python until I took that Arista class. And they're like, well, you're gonna have to learn Python for this. And I'm like, Okay, I guess I'll start reading up. So that I did self-teach. Um, but then like, you know, the examples they taught us in the class to interact right. with their API helped like from that baseline. Like, okay, here's the basics of Python. Here's how they're actually doing it. And then I was able to to learn more from there, um, seeing it all put together. Um, but yeah, definitely intro classes, I think were the biggest help for me. And then as far as like labs, I've been really blessed that we have physical labs here at my current job, but obviously like GNS3 with like, you know, virtual EOS image or something would be the way to go if you don't have that, which the average person probably does not have mm-hmm. uh, a physical lab. I happen to work for a very large company, so yeah. <laughs> there's the yeah, and or, or, you know, it's, it used to be people would eBay, you know, stuff and try to make their that, own. That does work too. Yep. Yes. But virtual is pretty good. Yeah. I was surprised when I looked at the Arista side, how much, well, like, if you haven't 
ever use the CLI, you probably should do that before you try to do automation. Um, you yeah. know, again, mm-hmm. there's a lot of oh intent and models, but you know, when you actually look at how you automate the major vendors, you sort of do have to understand how how it thinks of itself and CLI, you know, to yeah. get stuff. So and you have to learn how JSON works too, because you need to understand how to read the JSON dictionary. So much of what you get back from the show commands on on API queries are going to be like in JSON format. So that's something you need to quickly quickly learn and adapt to um to understanding you know how to find your nestled variable inside that show command because it's not going to give you the text it's going to give you a json version of the text one cool thing on the aristas um is that you know you can do your show command on the actual arista and then just pipe it json and if it's supported it'll give you what that json format looks like on the switch so you can just debug yeah so you could yeah so before you go to write a new script right you know okay i want to use something where i'm going to do like you know show version, right? But like, I don't know how the JSON is going to look and I don't want to start from the script, right? So I go to the switch, I type show version pipe JSON, and then I see right there on the switch what the output's going to look like. So now I can go back and write my programming based on what I know to expect. Does it show you AQ'd, you know, like, like pretty printed or does it show you like all like blah? On the switch, it'll be pretty print by default. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's nicely spaced. Figure stuff out. And I, I still mm-hmm. use Perl because I'm old and- you know, even yeah. though it gives me a little bit of a headache to navigate the hashes that JSON parses into, uh, I, I mm-hmm. need to get with the Python at some point. I just think the white space shouldn't be syntax that we should have braces for coding. We should have braces. Oh, I know. That part does does still bother me a lot. I agree. I'm very used to like, you know, I did my PHP. I'm very used to the brackets to tell me which blocks belong where. Um, but Doesn't matter. Over time. Yeah. I can't fight the industry. <laughs> the industry has decided Python. Exactly. Uh, and that's where I caved. <laughs> so in your background... Uh, you know, you were talking about sort of, you know, dipping your toe in and and before, you know, your whole body. And I remember my experience, you know, getting into martial arts where not only I, but everyone else thought I was just going to turn. I was turning red. I was 320 pounds. People thought I was going to die. Oh, wow. But but um, I just, you know, for me personally, I suck at it so badly that <laughs> my it takes all my mental focus and then I don't notice I'm exercising and then I'm learning uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I enjoy things that I suck, but uh, at, um, yeah. but I'm just curious. So I guess you, you mentioned you have Japanese, uh, um, you know, uh, Japanese studies, and I guess that has some relation, but I, I'm really curious, is there a connection, you know, between martial arts and networking, anything that helps you from one to the other, or is it more of a disconnect? Um, you know, how, how do you find it and think about it? Um, you know, as I know, a few people in the community, they're into martial arts and, and you, mm-hmm. you're, you're uh, you know, sort of actually have a school, right? So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy people like me opening schools during pandemics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, I got into martial arts before anything else, really. Um, uh, so the Japanese and the martial arts definitely relate heavily for me because I was really big into anime. I was one of those dorky otaku kids growing up, like skinny and lanky and getting picked on and I just love to watch my anime you know and so um, one of my friends actually found this uh, karate school that had a sword class an Yaido sword class oh, oh wow. cat, cat, we can go take sword and learn to to be like Kenshin <laughs> that was what she told me sold me on that I'm like oh sure let's go learn to be like Kenshin from the anime you know <laughs> wow. and then eventually after like a summer of doing sword they convinced us to stay for the karate class and so that's, that was kind of the beginning of everything that was 2000 so like 21 years ago um, but yeah, so that, that's how those two relate for me is my Japanese uh-huh. interest came from the anime. My martial arts interest also came from the anime. Cool. Um, but I mean, there's definitely relations, right? Cause I mean, martial arts to me is kind of like another language. It's a language of the body, right. Versus mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, networking is a language of the switches and then the programming is, you know, the, 
the language of the code to interact with everything. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some some similarities, but it is also my break from the day job as well. Um, so he's, when I sit there and program all day, I don't move from this chair very much. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> dormant on this chair for you know hours at a time, and that's the opposite of when I'm in the dojo, moving around constantly, like no. Yeah. No downtime. Like I have a chair and a desk at the dojo, but that's really only for when it's not class time. You know, if I get mm -hmm. there early and need to, you know, update the website or something, like it's about the only time I'll use that. The rest of the time, like I never sit in that chair <laughs> at the dojo. I am up on my feet, whether I'm talking to a parent, talking to a student. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Uh, um, primitives. Yeah. It's interesting because in networking, I you know, people are trying to get into networking. I say. The most specific route always wins. You could remember this mm -hmm. because if you couldn't get to your own, if the default route, if the biggest route won, you couldn't talk to yourself because you, you know. Exactly. In, in martial arts, it's like remember to breathe. It's like I know how to breathe. Yeah, and then you discover maybe you don't know how to breathe. Yeah, because you're. I try to remember this so hard. I, oh, I, I, to I did that. I almost feel <laughs> like Avi, you're going to pass out. I was like, oh shit, yeah. maybe I don't know how to breathe. Maybe I should think about that. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and we definitely I go guess, back to basics a lot too. Like people don't realize, but there's so much focus on basics in martial arts, you know, just like your, your basic stance, where your hand is, your positioning, you know, how you're leaning into something. If you're back straight, if you're squatting mm -hmm. down low, lots of like fine details that, that matter in martial arts. That is one of the things that I find fascinating myself, which is that I can see how people that can do things much better than me are doing it not quite right. They don't, mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't give them my opinion, but right, right. you know, but I'm still sucking so badly. I'm so far behind. Like I remember the first time I could make my body do each of the, each of those, you know, sort of basic things. And then mm -hmm. when I was starting, it was the Ukemi roll, which I really sucked at, but um, mm -hmm. I still do a little bit, but yeah. Um, and you know, the internet and networking, like the human body, you know, there's so much that can go wrong. So luckily mm -hmm. I haven't injured myself at martial arts and, you know, hope everything is good <clears throat> at your school from that perspective. Yeah. Same. Cool. So we talked about automation, which is one of the things that I hear a lot as people saying, you know, oh, I'm behind and this is mm -hmm. this is the hotness and everything else. And you know, then I say, well, you should be thinking about it if you're not, but you know, the people are not living in this completely automated world with no humans mm -hmm. and that's all APIs. What else is you as you look at networking? Is there anything that you're really looking forward to? immersing yourself in between, you know, self-exploration and classes and, and things, Any, anything you're following that, that that you'd like to be working with? Um, my kind of big self-driven thing when we step away from automation is IPv6. Um, big, especially when you're looking at large-scale data centers, like there's just so much IP address wasting in the V4 world. Like point-to-points you know, are my favorite example of this, right? Mm -hmm. yes. You know, like my typical install for an edge switch, top of rack switch is going to be four uplinks, right? So four uplinks means that I have eight IPv4 addresses. That's better that than wasted. it used to be when, when I know it it's better. slash 30, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are doing yeah, we are doing 31s, not 30s. Okay. So I could be wasting toys tonight. At least I'm doing that. But even that, that's still eight addresses for every single switch I want to deploy. Minimum. Plus the loopback, but right. the loopbacks, I don't care as much. It's more that that's that eight addresses per device. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about deploying, you know, a hundred devices, right? Like there's 800 IPs now I just wasted. Even if it's internal only, there's only so much internal only space right. I can use as well, right? You know, it doesn't right. even have to be public space, right? And 
the V6 problem just eliminates that as being an issue of worrying about running out of space. Like, you know, and so that's kind of one of those big hot topics that I'm trying to work on is at least start with the networking side, right? Because not all the servers support V6, right? That's the mm-hmm. other problem. Right. And then let's go back and obviously fix the server issue because that's the way bigger one, right? Obviously, I use way, way more IPs on right. the server side. It's not just servers, it's applications. and Yeah, servers, applications, different. Yeah, some servers might have like 10 IPs on them. That's, Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, my favorite thing that I can do on the wrist is right. And I think other switches do this too, is I can do V6 routing over or V4 routing over V6 interfaces. Mm-hmm. So even though the whole path is not V6, I can right. still send all my V4 routes over V6 only point to points. Right. And so ta-da, now I no longer use eight, those eight IPs of V4 at all. Right. Right. No, that's so that's awesome. kind of, yeah. One of my does, projects. Does the... When you think about making it more approachable to crafty people who are like, uh, like, oh, but I can't remember V6 addresses and all that, is 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 it like having scripts for debugging or tools so that mm-hmm. it, 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 so you don't have to, you know, be like typing these when you're debugging? You can say that switch, that interface, like do some debug. Exactly. Is it, is it yeah. numbering so that you know V4 and V6 are related, or there's some consistent like that switch, that interface will be this. Like, what are the things that help crafty people like like me, maybe, you know, uh, mm-hmm. want, to, want to be in that world? Yeah, so, like, you know, it's slightly wasteful, like, the 30 versus 31 argument. But, like, you know, like doing 126s instead of 127s, for example, in V6, right? If you do that and you have four uplinks, then you'll use the same four addresses for your first core, second core, third core, and fourth core. They'll all end in the same number, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of those little tricks that we do, for example, like, in, in that four environment, because um, then it follows a better pattern that's more human readable. Um, and then, yeah, we do a lot of automating for our, our point to points and our V6, everything basically. I've, I've written scripts that will automate making the nice, pretty DNS because I don't need to memorize the IP if I have DNS for everything, including my, my V6 point to points. So then if I do a trace route, it makes sense because I can see the host name with the interface, you know, attached to it mm-hmm. on that trace route. So, but yeah, DNS for sure. Um, well, if it isn't a conflict of interest, I would be interested in, um, and, and if work allows it. Uh, maybe an analog presentation or maybe a panel on, uh, you know, with a few other companies on like cool tricks to, uh, you know, preach it and at least for network interconnects, you know, internally mm-hmm. uh, move away from uh, V4, which, yeah, if you're only doing 20 switches, maybe your bean counters don't care. But if you're doing, you know, mega, hundreds, mega, hundreds, yeah. And <laughs> it's money, you know, it is money. Yeah. Um, not to mention mm-hmm. being nice to people that still have the mainframes that need to connect and, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, need to work that way. Um, cool. So, um, you know, definitely a lot of people passionate about that, and hopefully, I'll I'll be able to attend the panel and ask a couple questions. Mm-hmm. So you got you got um, uh, lucky on top of some applied work, getting in uh, to uh, uh, you know full time IT and the networking. And moving over to uh, the multi tenant networking, you know, the switching mm-hmm. data side. Yeah. Um, any any advice or, or things that you think about as a community that we can do to help attract people, especially people that are not, um, you know, a diverse set of people, you know, into mm-hmm. networking to make it more approachable and, and offer opportunity? I mean, for me, like mentorship really was the key, right? That was the thing that opened all the doors. And so I think the more we can do with mentorship, the better for sure. Um, like Nanog, you know, which I'm I'm chair of the program committee over there. Um, the board did start a mentorship committee um, and they've been working on and ways to get that going. Um, I'm not sure when it officially goes full deployment, but definitely like is 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 a program. That's too. different. 
Yeah, the Anarchy Universe right. is a good way to learn some stuff, but this is a specific like committee just for mentorship where um, they're working on you know, formulating a whole plan for how we can mentor, you know, up and coming engineers, right? Um, and mm -hmm. stuff like that, I think is super important. I have a huge passion for mentorship because it's really how I got started, right? So I definitely think if you're starting to get interested in the, the networking engineering world, um, to find someone that, that can mentor you or to ask around and see if you can help find someone to pair up with that can give you advice, can, um, you know, introduce you to other folks in the network world, right? You know, like Chris Millater, like knew everybody at Adog already when I started going, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And I wouldn't have met half the other people like yourself and others, you know, if I didn't have somebody like him introducing me to all those other people, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I get, having someone to, to, to bounce ideas off with, to learn from, to help mentor you career-wise, actually, you know, in network engineering itself for um, the technical details as well. All of that's super useful, I think. And that's how I think we become approachable though. So likewise, if you are considering being a mentor, right? Now is the time. Like, don't wait until somebody finds you, right? You know, people like myself and you, we need to go out there and look for the next, you know, generation of engineer. Yeah, I mean, we're thinking a lot about that in terms of college, you know, how, how can we help? Because we have a lot of data about the internet. We can work with grad school. You know, we can talk with people even that are not technologists because, you know, with peering, it's not all about technology. It's about politics and economics mm -hmm. too. Um, and, you know, try to find the bright, shiny-eyed folks. Um, uh, we haven't yet stolen someone, you know, convinced them not to go back to college. You know, we don't right. have religion about that, but, you know, I can't say if we found someone, you know, who was right, we would at least, you know, give them the option. Um, uh, but, um, uh, you know, that's that's one of the areas where, you know, the education and, and labs and things, um, you know, as you mentioned, it's possible to do online. You know, mm -hmm. we're thinking about is there a way that we can help with that? Or, you know, we have some traffic generators help, you know, so that if you stand up a network, you know, we can help, you know, uh, put traffic on it to show that it would look like or, you know, on the Internet side. Um, I need to look at that mentoring um, uh, thing that you just mentioned. Well, we'll see each other in a few days physically and not yeah. hugging. Um, cause you know, even Andre mentioned, Andre Tunk, who I, I talked with mentioned that at times even Nanog was intimidating for him. If you get trapped between, um, even two very nice people, if they start, you know, fly spittle flying, arguing about, you know, Arista versus whatever, or, uh, or, you know, this library versus that, or this architecture versus that we have some pedantic, passionate, uh, Dude. folks, but Nina also found, you know, she just like showed up, someone showed her around, introduced her mm -hmm. around. She found the community very accommodating, but, I you know, know, I think there are a lot of people for whom it still could be intimidating to, well, especially post COVID to go to a thing and then yeah. make relationships. And then, you know, so I, I look forward to learning more about how people can sign up and, and, and offer to help mentor. Yeah. I mean, have, like I said, having a mentor going to my first conference already like that made it not a scary thing for me at all. But obviously many people go to co those conferences and don't have anybody they know. And mm -hmm. that's a totally different experience, like night and day different experience. So when you all look to hire, you know, if we were talking about or two people that are earlier in career, you know, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a degree? Are you looking for GitHub? You're looking for they have labbed. You know, what 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 makes what makes um, you and your peers interested um, in in a candidate? Yeah, so um, I recently had an intern last summer, and then we eventually hired him on full time this year. And um, in that case, like you know, when I was looking for for an internist first, right? You know, I was looking for some basic knowledge of the the concepts, right? Um, 
I was looking for some programming experience, which this person had, um, because I knew we wanted to do more with the automation. But mostly, and this is, goes back to like giving it back, right, from what happened with me, is I'm looking for someone with an aptitude for learning. Someone who's not so set in their ways that isn't going to fight me in every turn and is going to be willing to hear what everyone has to say on the team and then go research and learn and improve themselves. And, and we found that in that intern who's now a full-timer with us. Um, you know, he was extremely eager to learn, um, had a good, solid knowledge of programming, a good, solid knowledge of networking, um, brought new ideas to the table, which is always a plus. So I, I love someone who can think differently too, personally. Um, if I'm going to have a new member of the team, I don't want them to think just like me. Because then we're not going to grow. I need someone who's going to say, well, what about this? I, I love the what about this, even if it's wrong. But what about this still gets me thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are the kind of the things that I look for, right? Someone who is, has a fresh set of eyes on things, but has good basics and then can learn. And that, that's the ultimate, most important part, though. They can learn and mm -hmm. they're willing to learn and they're willing to take feedback. Right. And maybe you know, understand that learning is the thing, which is our responsibility, right? The company can help train, but you need to be you need to be throwing yourself into it. Exactly. Um, it's interesting because you said sort of be open to listening to others, but, you know, have new ideas. But it sort of sounds like what I used to do, which is like, okay, I hear you, but I think my way is better. Let me code them both up and I will show you. Uh, exactly. We can discuss it. <laughs> I and, and I had a, a coworker before this current one um, that was here for like one or two years. And and I had to do that sometimes just to show him because he wouldn't listen. He was really stubborn. It was like the opposite experience, you know, like he was just convinced that his way of doing things was the only way he should do it. And I would even like code things and be like, look, see, this other way works like, you know, five times faster. Your takes 10 seconds. Mine takes two. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really frustrating that even with like evidence, you know, like here's the proof, <laughs> like try it a different way. Like that, that person just wouldn't listen. And it was so frustrating. It's so hard to work with that person. And like a huge breath of fresh air switching to somebody who is willing to, you know, mm -hmm to work with me and, and, and be open to new ideas. And sometimes I will get it wrong. Right. But, and, but that's okay. And yeah. I know that, right. You know, and, but somebody who doesn't think they can do any wrong, that's a dangerous thing. I don't want a coworker who thinks they can do no yeah. wrong. That's <laughs> Goodbye. how you get supervillains. You get superheroes yeah. that turn into supervillains when you have exactly. That. And no, we definitely look for that to try to screen out what I call geek binary itis. There is one true way. There yes. is no grayscale. <laughs> Like yes. the eye, you know, or, you know, Silicon Valley made fun of spaces versus tabs. I was so happy when I saw spaces versus tabs <laughs> yeah. on a mainstream TV show. Uh, you know, really? Don't we have pretty printers? Can't we just like change, you know, each work in our own syntax and meet in the middle, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, so the, like the, going back to your original thing about being approachable too, and like, you know, getting new people in the field, right? We also have to be willing to accept that the way we, you and I have been doing things for the last 10 or more years, right? May not be the right way anymore. Maybe that was mm -hmm. the right when we started, right? But we also have to have that open mind too. It's not just our new hires. Yeah. Maybe open mind, we need it too. And so if we get locked in that curmudgeon, you know, way, that's not going to help anybody either. So it kind of goes both ways, right? We both got to yeah. be willing to, to learn Absolutely. from the old and learn from the new. And, you know, it's interesting for people that are interested in making a company, starting a startup, it's that intersection of, aha, there's a problem that isn't being solved. Maybe this different approach that people t say is crazy, you know, uh, is the right way to go. We heard a really amazing story yesterday at Kentec. One of our um, investors is Gangels uh, in this new round. So it started as LBGTQ plus, but, um, and, you know, Lorenzo Thion was talking to us and he like happened to randomly 
run into George Takai and his husband at a show and then another show. And then like they talked and then he turned around and said, like, can I write a, a, a Broadway you know, show for you? And he had never done that. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. And he's like, oh, but you have to be crazy too. You know, you have to be crazy. And I'm like, oh my God, that takes that. That's, that's like, but you know, sometimes you say like, wait, why, why is it done this way? And that's led to some SDN stuff that didn't make much sense, like centralized mm-hmm. flow controllers. And it's led to some stuff that, I mean, look at VMware NSX and VLAN, VXLAN. And mm-hmm. I was like, what's wrong with VLANs? I know how to Python that or Perl it or whatever, mm-hmm. but it turns out that that most you know uh, people that ran servers didn't want to talk to network people and open a ticket and whatever. And so yeah. someone would have said, there's no problem with that. So um, yeah, definitely can be interesting if you want to go that path too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like you're having fun. I'm, um, I'm having fun yeah. too, or I'd be jealous, but any, <laughs> any advice you'd give, you know, earlier cat, um, you know, from, uh, from anime, uh, sword fighting to, uh, late high school to college to early career. Um, there's definitely one for sure piece of advice that I, I, I would definitely give early cat. And that was like the my biggest regret from college times was that I was such in a rush to graduate. So I was, like I said, I was an honors kid, right? I came into to class and I had some AP fives scores. So I had a couple of classes that I got credit for in college. And, and then I took one summer where I, I, I took two summers. So I did one summer of my um, core requirements and I did another summer of Japanese uh, full immersion. And between those two summers, I was actually able to graduate in three years instead of four. And I would go back and say, don't be in such a rush to grow up, you know, like take the full four years. And especially in the, the biggest regret of all of these is that I never studied abroad in Japan and I, I should have, you know, because once yeah. you start working full time, like going overseas for a whole year, unless you're going to relocate for your job, probably not happening. <laughs> yeah, we have two so, good friends that did, uh, you know, and one yeah. wound up living there. Uh, one, she was studying pearl divers, uh, you know, for for sociology mm-hmm. and, and the other, you know, as I mentioned, she wound up living there and doing uh and i think they both you know enjoyed it we we love yeah and we're looking for yeah and i'm who knows if i had done the study abroad maybe i would have ended up staying working in something related Mm -hmm. to japan instead of doing network engineering so my whole life might be totally different but yeah that whole like don't be in such a rush like oh because you can do it don't do it like take that time in college to really explore those things that are of interest and and do something like study abroad if you want to you know i should have graduated in four years not three but and i I graduated with honors i mean i I did well in those three years and Mm -hmm. obviously i'm doing well career-wise today but I definitely regret that I never studied abroad, that I only went over for like, you know, short two week trips and I never did that full semester or full year abroad. So that's the big thing I would tell myself is, you know, if you were thinking about it, do it. <laughs> there will not be time to do it later. You later, know? right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I've had a few people in my family who did the Poof Your Doctor program, you know, which used to be, you know, like you you do med school and undergrad and, and have had some feedback about, you know, maybe I wish I had more time to, you know, do whatever. And then I actually yeah. wound up getting in, got getting into, uh, uh, I, I, if I had a degree, I would have an undergraduate major in classics, which people don't believe, uh, but I don't have a degree, so it doesn't matter. I, you yeah. know. Oh, I know some people don't have degrees or they're like me. My degree, it is absolutely nothing for my career. Like my Japanese degree is not needed at all to do what I do for my day job. <laughs> so, so why does it matter that I have a bachelor's and a master's? It doesn't matter at all. I don't use that bachelor's or master's for my engineering at all. Right. Yeah. And just having a degree doesn't mean you know how to learn in an unstructured way, you know, which can be really yeah. helpful. So, 
Um, cool. Well, hopefully people will uh, listen and, and and maybe that'll be helpful to them. And, and Kat, I really enjoyed this so much. Thank you for joining. I look forward to seeing you in person, either tomorrow uh, in Austin or a few days in Minneapolis, such as the life of traveling network nerds. Um, <laughs> even even in the in, in the hopefully waning days of COVID, um, yeah. and um, uh, you know, I hope uh, everyone enjoys uh, this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it.